you know, if we look at the last few years of polling, it's destructive. It's not supporting of democracy. We've seen it roll prime ministers. We've seen it become the talking point and feed the 24 hour news cycle in itself. Mark, thank you so much for joining me uh, tonight. Tell me what got you into this industry. It's a fascinating field to be in. I'm sure you never do a day's work but have endless fun. <laughs> no, that's right. Thanks, Dave. Great to be with you. Well, I have always had interest in people. I, after school, went off to do a, a psychology degree and and as I moved through that, I found that I was more interested in the social psychology, the, the sociology, how groups and communities interact. And so I, after that, did a master's in, in sociology and dug a bit deeper in this field. And, uh, and that's now what uh, fills my time is uh, conducting social research and demographic studies, just to get that deeper analysis of communities and, and groups and segments and, uh, and getting a sense on where that's taking us. I did a interview with, uh, I can't remember his name right now, I'm, I'm sorry, to him, but uh, a, a celebrated Canadian economics professor. And uh, I think most people, when they hear the word economics, think money. Um, and he described himself as somebody who, well, and economics generally, not just himself, he wasn't saying it was peculiar, but general, that economics is the study of behaviours and, and predictable behaviours of groups um, and they will you know, hypothesize a model and then test it in the real world and compare how that went. It mm. sounds a little bit similar to you. Do you delve in economics much in, in that kind of sense? Yeah, that's right. You know, economics is one of the key aspects of human interactions of community. You know, money and, um, and the earning of that, the spending of that, sentiment and attitudes around that. So that comes mm. into it as do you know, broader priorities or attitudes to different policies or um, fears of the future or hopes and dreams. I mean, anything uh, that is very um, true to the, the human experience is what we want to research. Uh, and uh, that old saying, you know, what's most personal is most universal, does drive our social research. And to get data around that is important. Yes, data mm. on on the behaviours, uh, on the practices, but also on the attitudes and expectations, the, the sentiment. So it's both of those that really create a picture of society and, and the direction in which we're headed. Now, Robert Menzies was uh, somebody who coined the phrase, I believe it was Robert Menzies coined the phrase, um, the, the the battlers, the Aussie battlers. Uh, and, and then we had... Um, perhaps that was John Howard. I, I might be getting my, my phrases confused, but the most recent of all examples of, of people trying to describe a majority political sentiment might have been the recent federal election with Scott Morrison uh, using the phrase, the quiet Australian. Tell me, is this a self-serving, wishful thinking uh, kind of proposition or is there a a accurate description of the majority of Australians in their political philosophy. And I, and I don't mean how would they describe themselves in a survey, but in, in actual reality, um, is there a general majority that is conservative or progressive? 
there is a, a a big majority of Australians that are common sense that are going about their day and that see a lot of the political machinations and indeed a lot of the media commentary and say, well, that doesn't resonate with me. And and whether you call it the Howard Battlers or the Quiet Australians, you know, Australians are common sense. It's the land of the fair go. It's the 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 land where we talk about things passing the pub test, uh, where people uh, say, well, that just doesn't smell right. You know, there's a, a sense yeah. that that Australians, when they discuss things uh, in the suburbs, which are the great melting pot of our nation, uh, tend to be, we talk about the kitchen table, you know, they tend to to just deal with the, the fair income. And uh, and much of, of what we read in, in, in political coverage um, doesn't really speak to them and doesn't describe them. You know, keep in mind that a lot of journalists are what we might call from the more elite element in terms of their background, in terms of where they're living and in terms of of the perspective that they have, that the Canberra Press Gallery is the same. You know, it, it's it's a group of people that that um, connect with each other, but certainly don't represent what we often call mainstream Australia. And you know, that's the great thing about our nation and our democracy. It's very diverse. And across that diversity, uh, when you put an issue to them or you um, get a poll conducted, Australians tend to get it right. Uh, that's that's the great thing. And if things head too far one way, there's a bit of a correction mechanism. That's on what all of research is based, that if you can get a, a sample that represents the Australian population and, and have accurate questions and methodologies behind that, what is true of that sample is true of the population. And I'm consistently impressed with how Australians, when you get that cross-section of them, tend to have a common sense view of their world and their life. And and you don't always get that just by hearing the elite or the commentariat or the political or journalistic class speaking. Mm -hmm. Now, you you said something about getting the samples right, um, which really prompts a, a question that I hadn't considered before you said that, and that is, how does the American media elite and the Australian media elite get the polling before a federal election so devastatingly wrong? Well, a lot of it was not scientific polling. Uh, It was polling uh, that was not fully representative. Uh, They were just going with the panels that they had access to uh, mostly that were more informed, that were digitally connected, uh, that were on these research panels to begin with, uh, and they were polling uh, particularly uh, people that that were not in some of those harder-to-access communities or areas. So there was a biased sample for a start. Uh, secondly, such was the intense political coverage and angst in the lead-up to whether it be Brexit or whether it be uh, the U.S. elections are around Trump, uh, that that no one on a phone interview, we call it caddy, computer-aided telephone interview, speaking to a pollster, um, wanted to uh, put forward their view that actually, you know, what seems to be mainstream, that everyone's uh, heading towards the left or everyone's all about um, the, the U.K. staying in Europe, um, is not a politically correct view to hold. And so the, the concept of the quiet Tories 
did t- come to the pass. Um, mm. Now there is robo calling. Now there are um, a lot of online surveys where, where it's de-identified and where you're not talking to a pollster. And so that does give a it does remove at least that hang up uh, where people can be um, can be a bit more honest because they're not talking to someone and they feel that they're not going to be looked at strangely because of their political view. Um, but uh, that wasn't uh, what was making up a lot of the polling, and so it, it certainly got it wrong. Is it possible to get it right? Is that something uh, McCrindle Research could break into in a uh, field that gets it so wrong so often and create this amazingly accurate, valuable product to replace the, the current failed models? <laughs> well, we have a problem with polling just ideologically, you know, if we look at the last few years of polling, it's destructive. It's not supporting of democracy. We've seen it roll prime ministers. We've seen it become the talking point and feed the 24 hour news cycle in itself. There there would be a poll and then there'd be discussions about a poll and then another poll that saw that because of the discussions about the poll, uh, it was heading further south. It's, It's just not something that adds to a society that builds up a society and that that adds uh, it adds a lot of heat, not a lot of light. Um, our focus is to empower human flourishing as an organisation. We want to conduct research that can inform the communities in which we're planted and and that can can empower them and can offer um, direction to them rather than something that's divisive or, or can be used uh, for political wedge politics. So. So I just don't think uh, polling is a, uh, is a is a positive mechanism. Now, there, there are policy polls that can be taken place. There's, we do a lot of research. Um, if someone's looking at, at a particular policy or, or looking to develop policy or direction, what does the public think on this? What are some insights we can gather from this? That's, that's, that's fantastic. But polling for the sense of making it public so that it can uh, create tension for a political party or put them on the back foot um, in a media interview, I think is mm. is it tears down more than it builds up, and it's just not the business we're in. Yeah, it's interesting that, uh, and I think you're right. I think it's an accurate observation based on just observable sequence of events. Um, but conceptually, hypothetically, you would have thought uh, surveying and and polling a population would be precisely democratic. In, in it's almost yes. you know constantly taking the pulse of people's opinion. How are we doing? Uh, should we keep going like this? Um, but you're right. It's been it's been thoroughly toxically weaponized um, by yep. by cynical political and and media elites. Um, it, it's a, a good observation, and um, I guess it's a good choice to stay out of it if you want to be um, positive and constructive. Tell me. The research and data that you have had talking about the quiet Australian and Howard's battlers, you know, John Howard and Robert Menzies, the two longest serving um, governments and prime ministerships in Australian history. Uh, Is there a, a change in the philosophical landscape of Australia um, over the last century, uh, 120 years? Um, is it subtle or is there a pretty consistent uh, trend to it, um, despite the, what many people would point to in the changing demographic of people responding to no religion? Mm. 
Well, there are changes. Um, that's for sure. There are changes in the electorate. There are changes in our population that, that flow in various mm. directions, by the way. It's not as though we're headed on a one-way street um, away from conservatism or towards more radical thought or whatever. Um, but there are some trends in that regard. You know, one of those is increasing university education. And uh, you know, the fact is that people move through our, our higher education system, uh, having spent four years there, and it does have it does have a particular political angle. It does lean very much left. And, uh, and that does inform um, some some worldviews and outcomes. Uh, and, and that's the direction that young people are headed. Nine in 10 young people now finish year 12. Now, Dave, when you and I were, were at school um, and moving into our senior years, half the class left at year 10. That's just how it was back then. That's mm. not the case now. It's towards this ongoing conveyor belt of education and particularly leading towards more higher education. We've got um, skill shortages in the trades. It's harder to get young people into TAFE and vocational education so they can get out there and 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 get those those jobs that are so needed and have such a great uh, financial and 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 job security in, in their future. You know, those in construction and those in in um, uh, the the um, trades and, and traineeships and, and clerical areas. You know, we need that. They're the backbone of, of this nation and our growth. Uh, and it's harder to get young people there. And, and if we think about the, the battlers, if we think about the tradies, if we think about the high-vis um, communities that, that have been common sense voters and, and see a policy that might be um, a bit beyond where Australians are at, and we'll call that out, uh, that's that's definitely still a, a cohort, um, but but it's harder to get young people into those fields and those and those areas. So so that's a trend. Um, you, you identified the trend of declining connection with Christianity, and we saw we've seen in a decade the the numbers go from sixty four percent identifying as Christian to fifty one percent. Um, so that's been quite a, a decline. Uh, when the results come out from this most recent census. I have little doubt that that it'll be in in minority share will have slipped below that that fifty percent line, but still, you know that's a, a very large minority of the population, almost half, identifying as Christians. So uh, you know we need mm. to keep that in mind. Uh, sometimes I think we can overstate um, this this mantra of post Christian and non religious and hard soil and uh, and not interested in in the Judeo Christian foundations. That's that's not the case from the data. That's not to say all of those half of the population that identifies Christian uh, identify their faith as or the religion as Christianity. Um, you know, a practicing of that and a, and understand the tenets of that. They they don't. Uh, but still, um, it's it's a big uh, proportion of the nation, even though it's in decline. Um, and we've got a. Um, we've got an increasingly leveraged uh, commentariat. I mentioned those in the political class and those in, uh, journalists uh, that 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 have the 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 organs of of communication in their hands, and and that definitely leans in in a particular direction. And they have inordinate influence these days through not only the mainstream news channels and and the blogs um, and and the um, the apps and the news sites, but but social media as well, which is another whole area uh, that is decidedly left in its leaning. So so we definitely have some leverage uh, there that's that's headed in a particular direction. 
But at the same time, if we think about counter trends there um, in the Australian population, we've got and are built on migration. And it's in those migration, in those migrant communities that, again, you have that common sense uh, that are not easily influenced by, again, the, the Canberra Press Gallery or, or, or some of the, 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 the leading um, journalistic voices or, or, or influences. Um, they, they look to their own communities and their own um, community networks. And, and so that's, that's a counter trend. And, um, and you've got emerging um, voices that just flow from when policy or, or perspectives head in one direction, you'll invariably end up with a counter trend. And we're starting to see a bit of that as well. You know, water sort of finds its own level and it heads in one direction, then it swings back. And the Australian electorate is a lot like that. So as extreme as things get around gender issues or around um, uh, some some you know, policy issues that, that that seem a long way from anything around sanctity of life, you, you'll end up with a counter trend where people say, you know, that, that policy, that perspective has gone too far. And those sometimes that have the political power do end up in overreach. And that's mm. where the old Aussie saying of they get a kick in the shins at the next uh, poll, uh, the next uh, ballot box, and that does recorrect the playing field. And that's what we've had consistently in Australia. And that's why things inevitably uh, flow back to the centre, even if they've gone a little bit far to the left. Now, do you think we're in a season where that kind of recalibration or kick in the shins is due, overdue, uh, and um, inevitable at the next or following election? Or is that a little bit too hard to call? We're starting to see it a bit now, aren't we, um, around some of the hardline policies around lockdowns and, um, and, and COVID restrictions. And we're seeing, um, you know, the consensus of the, of the electorate. We're very compliant as Australians, but we're seeing a little bit of that break out a bit and, and break down and, and the pushback on that. And, and I think that does send a bit of a message. You know, we think that politicians lead and they do have a great role in leadership. They are invested by the electorate and by our compliant population with leadership. We're not like America, where we believe in conspiracies. We're not like uh, some parts of Europe where we consistently push back on authority. We don't have uh, the rise of, we, we don't have the history of, of, of World War II and, and, and dictatorships and extreme leaders that, that Europe has that creates in them a healthy distrust of of authority, Australians are amazingly compliant. We saw that in the in the first part of um, of, of COVID. You know, Australians we out Singapore. Singapore. I mean, talk about a compliant nation. You know, Singapore is, yeah. is that one, right? Where where, where this they just actually, get on board with this totally surprises me because the narrative we hear constantly is that Australians are rebellious, distrusting of authority, and non-compliant. Uh, based on the alleged convict identity um, that is ubiquitous to to our culture, uh, and and yet, I mean, I've been shocked, ashamed, and heartbroken at the readiness with which Australians have freely handed over uh, their their liberty and their civil rights uh, in some slavish, idolatrous worship of safetyism. Explain to me how we got this identity so wrong and we, as you said, out Singapore, Singapore. 
Well, we probably think of ourselves a bit like the rest of the West, whether it be the US or, or, or whether it be some key countries in Europe, we compare ourselves with them and, and, and they're individualistic and they value that individualism and those rights. Uh, we are actually more collectivist uh, in mindset and behaviour than we often think we are. Mm. We're community-minded. Uh, we look out for others. We call ourselves the lucky country because no one is self-made. Uh, it's all through community and the welfare of others that we get by. Um, we, we do, therefore, um, uh, we, we've got a tolerance for for bigger government and for government institutions because of that. You know, we, we Medicare has has universal acceptance. We we roll out the NDIS and Australians get behind that. Uh, we we're not highly suspicious of 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 government agencies. You mm-hmm. know, Centrelink and, and Service New South Wales and the various state government services are, are generally well supported. So so we do have this. This common sense perspective um, that we we entrust government to look after the people, but we still you know value that 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 hard work and that that Judeo Christian you know work ethic. Uh, but you know there is a welfare support uh, for those who are down on their luck, as we say, or doing it tough. And so mm. we've got this more moderated view than you have in the US, and we can't just import that that individualism and think it applies here. And I think we saw the best of that collectivism in the early months of COVID where Australians were locking themselves down before there were any health restrictions. And, and the common sense of that played out well in how yeah. we went for that first year. Uh, but the problem is that some government leaders have read that compliance as almost compliance to their own authority that the population, the electorates are complying with their strong leadership. And I think that was a misread. Australians in their common sense corner were locking themselves down and complying out of a sense that we are needing to do this as a community to, to, to ensure this, this thing doesn't spread. But if the leaders misread it and thought that it was a vote in their authoritarianism and that they have written as the electorate a blank check to leaders to continue to throw around their weight or power, and that compliance will remain unchecked, they've misread it because that wasn't Mm. what it was. It was giving the benefit of the doubt to leaders and health officials, importantly. It was evidence-based advice. Australians were saying, we'll give you the benefit of the the doubt. We'll go with you on this journey. We will lock ourselves down even where we see, um, uh, you know, there isn't a policy in place for the sake of getting this thing done. But as it's stretched on, Australians have also back at the kitchen table said, you know what, I, I think we're, I think we're done now. I, I think we, we can see a way through this where we perhaps can live with it to some extent. And uh, and, and those leaders that still think that, that they've got that full vote of support to continue uh, in the policies that they applied early on with full compliance, uh, and they think they can continue to uh, apply that and maintain that full compliance, I think um, I think it's 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 the the ego and it's um, it's they've lost a little bit of a sense of the compact under which leadership has always worked in Australia, which is this deal, which is this mutual trust and this mutual respect and and the overreach uh, we're starting now to see. So, explain to me if you can the origins, the foundation. Uh, because, like I said, we've been told over and over again we're a convict nation that distrusts authority and and we're rebellious. So if 
if we're now seeing that we're compliant and very community focused and willing to trust government, at least initially, um, and in my opinion, for far too long and far too much, um, then where does this compliance and government dependence come from if it's been misdiagnosed that we've got this fierce spirit of individualism based on on colonial convict roots? Mm. Well, you know, those settlers in Australia and the early colonies had to rely on each other because this is a pretty tough land uh, on which to support a whole bunch of people who are suddenly arriving from Europe. And so the early settlements and the early governments in Australia really had to had to rely on on the people. I mean, you see that with land grants and you see it with with the freeing of convicts that that they had to the government had to give freedoms and land and resource and empowering to the people for the survival of those colonies because they were exposed and people did band together to get it done. Now they got it done um, without the hierarchy that took place in Europe, uh, in England particularly, without the class system. So it had egalitarianism, it had community mindedness, it had people working together and with the goodwill and support of government. Um, so both were, were, were part of this compact. The government needed those ex-convicts and indeed the free settlers to make a go of things. And as they made a go of things, they got more land grants, they got more resource, they got more support. And, and that's still the way it is that that you know we've got a, a self-completion tax system you fill in the tax and there's mm. a, a compact that we will trust you now if you are shown up you know you may well get caught out but there is this mutuality of that so it is with our our welfare system that is very generous but we say hey it's it's a fair go mindset and don't take advantage of it don't pull pull the other leg you know don't don't take it too far uh, and so it is with so many of our institutions. You know, there's high trust, but there's there's also you know support there when it's needed, and there's there's the the stick if uh, if if people have have um, have taken it too far and, and and done the dodgy or or been the bludger, as we say. So so mm. that that's been the, the system, and and it's been both you know support of the individualist, but also it's been collective, and 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 it's been egalitarian. It's been without the class system, and early on it's been diverse. You know, we had the British. Um, coming, but we had the Irish as a key part of that. We had Protestantism, we had Catholicism, and we also had a good interactions. And, and some of this has been well studied uh, between um, the, those that arrived in the colonies and Indigenous Australians. And 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 there's been a lot of you know bad relations there as well. But there's been a lot of that good, and, and we sometimes forget that. And so this diversity that then quickly flowed into those arriving from China. If we think about the Gold Rush period, and then we've been very diverse in our in our arrivals, apart from the, the the white Australia policy chapter, but we we have been a nation settled through this diversity of migration, and therefore that reliance on each other and that connection across the other the groups uh, has been core to to what makes modern Australia. Final, excuse me, final uh, issue to explore and, and pick your brain on is the the disengagement of sub-30s, even sub-25s, the, the new voters um, from 18 to 25 who disengage essentially from conservatism. Uh, you identified that 90% of them are going to university and, and you know, and that's a, a largely 
left-leaning um, philosophical greenhouse. But is there a way that you own Is there something about that demographic um, which right-thinking people could better do to to engage with those people and and convince them, I guess persuade them of of our ideals and and values and their merits for a flourishing Australia. Yeah, you know Australians are always open to the common sense arguments. They they um, are not just influenced by what the experts or authority figures say. You know, it's also their own experience and that of those that they know. And so bringing balance to the debate is important. And I think, you know, we discussed the overreach of political leaders and and and, and uh, applying too much of that power. Uh, you know, we've never gone well for that authoritarianism. It's not a land where any dictator can get by. You know, we say that, that oh, that person's up themselves. You know, it's the land of the tall poppy and someone gets too, too self-important and, and we pull them down because it's an egalitarian um, society and it and it's just it's ultimately things come back to the the central mainstream common sense view and I think universities and, and political and particularly academia are in danger of that same overreach of that same um, one dimensional uh, mantra uh, that that does cause the pushback you know Australians uh, have said to to you know religious people through through history uh, you don't want to be a Bible basher. Um, well, the new Bible bashers, those that have the ideology that they are bashing around, uh, is very much a left-leaning ideology in all of the the, the you know, usual suspect policy areas mm. and, and 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 perspectives that we know. And so, the the Bible bashing, the ideology bashing, um, is is getting uh, a bit much for a lot of Australians, and including young people and young men. You've seen this a bit. You know, we see the the Jordan Peterson um, collective. Um, in, in, in North America and, and around the world where, where particularly you know, young men have heard so much of one dimension that they say, actually, you know, we, we need a bit of balance in this debate. And, and I think what's important is that we have um, the space for the different views in Australia and in academia, because if it's just this one perspective that is pushed, you end up with sometimes a reaction that's not healthy um, you know, as as has been said, if people have a problem with the the religious uh, majority um, or, or, or the religious right, wait till you see the irreligious right. You know, we, we don't want that. Um, mm. What we need is just that we need to uphold and maintain the, the the foundations of our society that we've had, and the Judeo Christian foundations, and the common sense reality, the the collectivist community mindedness, the care for others, and yet. Uh, the, the 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 support of the individual um, government in its place, doing what it does, uh, not reducing ever more in size, but at the same time not growing in size either. You know that that just the, the way Aussies have responded to things through history. We need to, we need that because if we try to redesign things in this new wokeism left ideology. Um, it's going to cause some breakouts in ways that are unhealthy and some pushback rather than the common sense discussion and, and, and community um, conversations that, that have been key to our, to our, our existence. Yeah, brilliant. It's, um, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the question I get asked all the time is how do we reach more young people? You know, there's, 
there's great crowds of of uh, over forties, over fifties, and and it actually gets bigger as we go up in in age demographics at the church and state summit. Um, but there's also a growing under thirties demographic um, at each year, and that's exciting. Um, some of the baby boomers um, and Gen Xers because they really uh, you know, want to see good values, common sense ideas and, and balance have a strong foothold in the emerging and, and rising generations. Um, and so I'm constantly asked, you know, how do we get more people there? We need to brainstorm and, and, and focus on that. Uh, do you think um, there's, I mean, it's probably a statement of the obvious, but expand on the statement of the obvious that the role of technology has to play, which can be positive, and also big tech, social mm -hmm. media giant corporations, uh, which can be negative. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. I mean, it's definitely a, a digital generation that are shaped on, that are saturated with the devices and the social media platforms that fill those devices and the amount of time they spend on screens, the age at which they've been exposed to the devices and therefore the impact on them are profound. And a lot of social media does lean to the left as we discuss, as does a lot of the, the mainstream media. But obviously young people can use the, the channels to get a broader diet, to, to get broader insights and to indeed um, look beyond the headline of what of what has popped up and uh, and and uh, dig a bit deeper on that, do their own research on that and connect up. Uh, but the other thing with with this emerging generation and probably with the technology and the saturation of policy views that, that again are, are one dimensional is that it does create a counter trend where uh, ultimately they can they, they push back a bit on that. And we are seeing um, a more conservative generation emerge firstly, and clearly conservative financially. You know, they, they have seen now um, economic uncertain times. They've seen it for a decade. The, the GFC, mm. they've seen it since COVID. They've seen our recession, the first here in Australia in three decades. They've seen that, that, that suddenly a million people can be put out of jobs almost overnight. They've seen that the economy goes up and the stock market, but it can go down. They've seen that you do need money for a rainy day. You do need to save. Things don't come easy. Uh, and and that it does require hard work and saving and planning and reducing of expenses to get that Aussie dream a reality. And and I think that financial conservatism and uh, and the fact that you do have to make a go of things and you can't just rely on uh, on on parents or on uh, welfare or indeed on a you know, job for life does create a sense uh, of what our grandparents knew. Um, that, that you have to save money, you have to look at your spending, you have to bit by bit grow and, and through investing in asset appreciating things like homes, uh, not just the stuff of life that depreciates, that's the way to, to, to get by. And, and I think that that's a healthy experience that they have been through. And, and often with that financial conservatism comes some of the social conservatism as well, where they say, well, look, you know, that's an area not for government to dwell in. And, and I don't want to keep paying more tax or levies in this area or that, because um, while we, most Australians are very supportive of the, the tax system and again, of, of, of much of the, the welfare, there are limits to that when it goes too far, particularly with that financial conservatism that, that they're focused on. And and Australians uh, tend to to value that that hard work and have that rewarded. You know the 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 um, the 
quality of, of opportunity needs to be there, but the the outcomes are going to be different based on how we handle and steward those opportunities. And and young people see that and they're starting to see that even more. So so I do see this counter trend. I do see this emerging conservatism with a lot of young people, certainly in the financial way, and that probably flow into some level of, of, of political and policy conservatism as well, which inevitably happens um, as the counter trend to, uh, to to when things have headed in one direction for a while. You know, I, I said this would be the last topic, and, and so I think it's kind of related, but I, I just have to ask this one question. If, if I was left-wing Labor, um, progressive, you know, classic uh, liberal, liberal. Um, what would you recommend to me as the strategy to reach more young people? Uh, what would be their the sensitive spot to, or, or the arguments to to convey um, to to bring them into voting for a Labor government or, or other left wing government? Mm. Well, it's it's ensuring that these young people who are seeing the financial opportunities that their parents and grandparents had increasingly out of reach. It's it's speaking to that. I mean, Labor have always been the party that has been for the working class, that has given the opportunities to move through those socioeconomics. We, have, we are a nation historically that's been very socioeconomically mobile. And, and there's been a, a lot of uh, opportunity to move up the ranks. You know, the socioeconomics uh, is defined by the three things of, of, of income, of uh, employment class and of education. And we have open access in all of those areas. You know, education is available for all. Anyone can head to university or, or further studies beyond schools. There's lots of pathways there. Income, mm. you can go from nothing to, to as a tradie out-earning the average, out-earning university graduate, a lot of mobility. You don't have to be a university mm. graduate with a master's to out-earn, you know, the plumber or the sparky or the or the, the builder's labourer, you know. So great yep. opportunities on the earnings and, and occupation. I mean, you know, it's we respect the dentist and the doctor and we respect the builder who is the one driving around in the flash new ute, you know. Okay. Mm. Um, and, and our suburbs are the great melting pot where you do have the specialist doctor and three doors down, you've got the property developer who never went to uni or the real estate agent or, or for mm. that matter, you know, the builder. So so that's our suburbs, that's our society. And if, thinking about that, that, that labour opportunity, if they now cannot provide that pathway anymore, if their policies have enabled the elite pathway over that of the ordinary, ordinary uh, everyday, you know, Aussie. If young people are seeing that the pathways are more limited, then, you know, they're losing that 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 fertile ground that has been there. And, and I think that's part of the problem for Labor is that they've become more a party of the elite and lost that blue collar or what we would say the high-vis um, collar uh, of today because young people are feeling frustrated, feeling locked out, feeling... That, that there is a have and have not, and it's a generational have and have not. Um, it's not, uh, and, mm. and the, the pathways that their parents knew um, don't seem to be as open for them. Yeah, very good. Very good insights, Mark. I really appreciate your time and your brain. And um, for those of you who want more of Mark, you can look forward to the Church and State Summit in the last weekend in February. There's a waiting list uh, before tickets go on sale at churchandstate.com.au. Um, Mark, really appreciate your time. And uh, for anybody who wants more of Mark now, 
uh, head to mccrindle.com.au. That uh, link is on your screen. Um, that's M-C-C-R-I-N-D-L-E, mccrindle.com.au. Mark McCrindle, thanks so much for uh, joining me on Pello Talk today. Thank you, Doug. It's been a pleasure to chat. It's time for us to do something. Na, 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 na.